Thanks for tuning in to McNamara on Money, a podcast about all things financial. On this show, we talk about investments and investment performance. In our practice, we give financial advice to our clients. We know their financial situation in detail before doing so. That's not the case with callers we may speak to on this show. We can't give truly meaningful financial advice because we don't know the detailed financial situation of the caller. Any suggestions we make to callers are generic in nature and meant to steer a caller in the right direction. Listeners to this podcast need to check with their own financial professionals before implementing any suggestions that we may make. Good morning. You're listening to McNamara on Money. I'm Alyssa McNamara-Reed, joined this morning by my um, aunt and (laughs) frequent co-host, Sharon McNamara with Boston Connect Real Estate. Good morning. Good morning. Thank you for having me. Thank you for being here. Oh, Tim is double-checking the technology. It's been a while since we did a show together. Yeah, I know. It has. Oh, yeah, it has been a while. But you know what? It's so funny. I love doing shows with you because I know you potentially had another something that you couldn't stay on for my show because my show is on after this. And Melissa was going to come to studio and join me for the for my show. And she's, what is your topic? I go, that's not what we do. <laughs> <laughs> we'll decide well, like at eight o'clock at night yeah. what we're going to be talking about. But it always flows nicely. We generally get a lot of callers. Yeah, that would be great. It always works out. Me and you, we always have great conversation. Yeah. And this is a, it's always I think it's always good to do a, a spring real estate market show. I guess mm-hmm. maybe now is technically a little bit late in the spring from a real estate perspective anyway. So stuff going on with inventory and with interest rates, of course. It was funny when we were messaging last night. I Just what comes to mind right now when talking about real estate and purchasing homes and selling homes is interest rates because yeah. it's just, it's all over the news. It's, well, it's newsworthy. And so it's mm-hmm. all over the news for a good reason. And People got used to really low rates for a long time, and now they're back to normal-ish. Mm-hmm. And I sent a message last night, and I was like, "Are we sick of? Are we sick of talking about interest rates?" <laughs> it seems like that's all we're talking about. Yeah. But I think, <clears throat> excuse me, that's everybody's blaming the interest rates for a lot of it. But there are so many buyers out there right now that want to buy homes. The problem really is the inventory, and we yeah. just don't have any of it. And I know that last week Michael and Jeremy were talking, and I called in and. He made so many good points about why we are where we are. And one of the bigger problems I feel we have, and I actually had a meeting with my developer this week. We had, he has, they have several developments and several different sales and marketing teams. And we all went and had lunch and everything. And we're just talking about the costs to build a home now versus building a home 10 years ago. It has increased astronomically for several reasons. One is just the cost of engineering, like the roads. Um, the just everything, the asphalt, the utilities. Mm-hmm. Then think about the cost of supplies. That all went up because of COVID. I think we're still blaming COVID for not being able to get... I think it's still partially responsible for supply issues, from what I understand. <laughs> yeah, from it things is. that are imported globally and from... Oh, from the, yeah. You cannot get yeah. electrical transformers. Yeah. Like, you can't get them. One of the things that they put in a shipment for outside lights, like lantern-style lights to go on the exterior of the homes, yeah. can't get them. Oh, yeah. The first phase of the property of the one of the communities that they have them, they want them all to be the same. Now they can't get them. So what do you do? Do you switch out the other ones? It's just a lot of that going on. Yeah. And they were saying the cost to build one of their style of homes, it was called the Beacon, it has ri- risen in the last 10 years, 80% to build the same house. 
What's that? How much does that outpace regular inflation, I wonder? I have no I idea. Gonna, I'm going to nerd can, out on my calculator. Yeah, you can and nerd <laughs> out on that and tell me what that actually means. Yeah, so 80% yeah. more to build the same exact house. And what the towns and the communities, they're not making it easy for them either. So when you go into the planning, you go into zoning. But unless we get new construction, there's no place for anybody to go. But everybody keeps on saying, or the common question I get is, Sharon, why do these builders build these homes that are so big? And it's because you, they can't afford to build something smaller. Because they can't sell it for enough of a profit. Exactly. Yeah. Everybody thinks, I just want like a nice ranch. Ranches cost more to build than a cape or a colonial because you're spreading everything out. There's more foundation. There's more roofing. Oh, okay. Yeah, and and it's not that expensive things. to put on another <laughs> exactly. story and exactly. double the square footage and then sell, and the builder can sell it for a higher price point. Yes. Yeah. Yep. I was thinking about that when I was about, about inventory. And we'll talk about inventory for a yep. good part of today's show. but. It seems to me like the relationship between housing inventory and population growth. And if, you know, I guess my question, my, I know that there's like a housing shortage in this area of the world and I think in, of the country and I think in a lot of other areas. Um, and I, I'm not totally sure if is, is it related to population growth or is it related to, I think part of it is because post credit crisis, there was an oversupply of homes on the market. And so building for new construction fell off quite a bit. And then by the time there was more demand for new construction, then it takes for to that build. to build, right? It takes a lot of time. And so they can't immediately catch up. So it's just like, a, it's a long cycle. And it's, this is going to sound crazy, but people are living longer. So people are li- there living in place, they're staying in place or they're just staying in place with their home. And that's a big problem too, because a lot of times those people, when they would state sales or things like that, then it just gets the ketchup out of the bottle, so to speak. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So I was wondering what's the relationship there. I think there's a lot of things because it seems like we're always talking about low inventory. Like we're, we've been talking about that since what, 2009? 2010? No, almost. not really. 2010 is when we were at the bottom, okay. right? But then things started changing. Yeah. You know what I mean? So it went back up yeah. and we had plenty of inventory. Yeah. Okay. But then it started going back yeah. down. But it, it hasn't been this bad in a while. Yeah. It's really low. We have another guest joining us, Jeremy Devaney from Leader One Financial. Hey, good morning. Are you on the phone? You there? Good morning. Good morning. Good morning, Alyssa. How are you? Good morning, Jeremy. Hi, Sharon. How are you? Good. I knew Jeremy would be busy with kids and sports and stuff like that today, but he agreed yeah. to call in for a little while. So what do you have for us, 15 minutes or so? Yeah, about, about that. We can dive right into it, whatever questions you two have. Yeah, did you have specific questions for Jeremy? Or? Yeah, was some of the things we talked about last week, Jeremy, when I poked my nose in a little bit, I didn't mean to be on as long as I did, but I was. But you brought up some, so many great points, and one of the things that Alyssa and I just started talking about was just the low inventory. And the problem that I see on my part is people who want to sell their house, but they have no place to go. You were bringing up bridge loans, and I would love to hear more about that okay, yep. and that opportunity for people. And I feel like that's a term we haven't... Have those not been very popular for a while, or are they come, coming back, or... I guess you could touch on they that. They haven't been extremely popular. They're a tough product to qualify for historically because historically you had to qualify to carry your departing residence, the house that you're moving out of, plus the HELOC for the bridge loan plus the new house. So it was really only a certain segment of the population that couldn't qualify to carry that much property. Some of the new products have done some really interesting stuff on the qualification fund and allow you to qualify only carrying the new property 
with the understanding that you're going to be selling your departing residence. So they don't hit you for that. So it's become a little bit more easy to qualify borrowers for that product. We've also seen a lot of institutions come out with their own version of a bridge loan. So let's step back for a second. What is a bridge loan? You have a house, you have significant equity in that house, and you're going to move. You need to get that equity out of your house in order to buy the new property. So what happens is, a bridge loan is essentially a home equity line of credit, but it's tied up in this whole entire understanding that there's going to be a really almost a simultaneous transaction going on, that you're going to be departing a residence, that property is going to be sold and extinguish all the debt. So it's a really unique product, but it's, like I said, we're seeing it a little bit more widespread now. A lot of institutions have brought them out over, call it, the last three years. seems like they have had to bring them out because it seems like in this real estate market with inventory so low, people are they're being forced to purchase before they sell, which is, I'm a financial advisor, it's generally not the recommendation because there's higher risks associated with proceeding in that order. But it seems within this real estate market, that's what you have had to do. So they have had to bring back that product, yeah. Yeah, and I'm sure Jeremy is seeing this too, is we can't get offers accepted with clients who have a home sale contingency. It just happened to me a week ago today, and it was like they don't want the home sale contingency. They went with somebody else that doesn't have one, even if it's less money. Yeah, yeah. With a bridge loan, Jeremy, does the bank put a timeline on when the bridge has to be paid off? Yeah, so some of them do, Alyssa. So in there's usually a stipulation that the property be listed for sale or is under contract and the timing of it it just happens to be selling later than you're purchasing so there's usually some sort of qualifier and if we think about it like in globally and in the big picture we're in a really unique spot in the credit cycle so not to talk a bunch of jargon for folks but what we're seeing over the last call it a month really since Signature Bank and Silicon Valley Bank collapsed is we're seeing banks review their credit risk. And so what we're hearing is that lending is tightening up, that there's fewer products in the Mm. market and some of these products are going to go away. The way that risk managers are going to deal with these products more and more, they're going to go back to the old way where it's going to be a lot more difficult to qualify because it's safer for the bank. Yeah, which makes sense. And actually, that's comforting to hear. One of my questions for you this morning was going to be like, what, what do you foresee in terms of lending, I was wondering if we might foresee, if we might think banks would loosen their lending just for revenue generation purposes, but it's actually comforting to hear that it's the opposite, at least right now. There, there's a lot of banks that have gone back and looked at their entire portfolios. Some of the community banks have stepped away from real estate. They had too much exposure. Remember, a community bank, and I won't use any names in particular, right? a community bank has exposure to commercial real estate and they have exposure to residential real estate. And when you're a community bank, like a credit union, a lot of times you don't have the deposits to be able to absorb a lot of credit losses. Yeah. So they have to be very cognizant of how they manage their overall risk, right? If they're going out and funding commercial debt for a contractor that's building out a 40 unit development, and that project goes belly up, that could be several million dollars of bad debt sitting on a bank's books. And to yeah. the same end, they're looking at the resi market going, eh, inflation's a little rough, deposits trailing down, credit card usage is up, the credit metrics are just getting tougher. Yeah. So 
I think if you're a good steward, if you're a good risk manager at a bank, you're looking at this stuff and it's probably going to tighten up for six, nine, 12 till things start to settle down again. Yeah, that's actually good to know. We don't want another credit crisis on our hands, so that's good. Mm-hmm. What about what about adjustable rate mortgages, Jeremy? Are those increasing in popularity in the last year or so? They were, Alyssa. It was becoming really popular because rates had gone up and you could take out an adjustable rate mortgage that has a lower fixed rate for a set period of time versus a 30-year fix. So let me give you an example. Typically, on an adjustable rate mortgage, you're going to see the term of the fixed period be three, five, seven, or 10 years. Okay, so you could go out in the market, save yourself half a point of interest by taking a seven seven one adjustable rate mortgage versus a thirty year fix. That shifted with this credit situation that I'm talking about. A lot of those products were being offered in the non QM market, which is hedge funds and large investors that create pools of debt, big banks that are wholesaling products, and we've seen a lot of that product go away. In the same, same time, a lot of the community banks were offering those programs. We were seeing it on the ground. Our daily competition for, call it the last six months, had been the small credit union. So I work for a direct lender onto mortgage. We lend our own cash. We close our own cash. We underwrite in-house. We're non-brokered. So we were going head-to-head with these community banks because they have in-house underwriting. They have total control. All these other things are very similar. But they were coming up with some really unique product in the jumbo space, so really big dollar amount loans. And then they were coming up with some really unique product that was matching up against the Fannie Mae, Freddie Mac products, which is your everyday home buyer. I feel like I looked not long ago, maybe a month or two ago at where interest rates were. And I want to say I saw it. Could adjustable rate mortgages at one point in time, maybe not right now, but like a month or two ago, could they have been like a point or more lower? Then they were, yeah. yeah. There, there was some fire sales going on. So okay. we saw some banks in the market. In remember, a bank is a little bit different than a direct lender because they're trying to capture more relationships. I started okay. my career working for a major bank in the Southeast, and they taught us you you want seven points of contact on a relationship. You want the checking account, the credit card, the mm-hmm. auto loan, the okay. insurance. That and so when you think about a leader bank or a Rockland Federal Credit Union, they don't care about making money on one product. They want your total banking life to yeah. come over to them. Yeah. And so they'll give you a discount on certain products. We see Bank of America doing it. Um, but what it means is they've got to be really smart and they've got to be really aggressive so that they make sure that they capture all of those touches because otherwise the relationship's not profitable. Yeah, that makes sense. There's an interesting statistic, and I don't know if you've heard it around, Sharon. Last year, lenders, on average, lost $200 per mortgage. $200 per mortgage? Because pricing was so sharp, so we were giving away the farm. And then two, the expense side of things had gotten a lot tighter because of some situations that were going on in the secondary market. With rates being so high, there was fear that a lot of those new mortgages were going to be paid off quickly. And so the bank never has an opportunity to earn the interest on the loan. So when they go to sell that loan off of their books, they're getting less money for it. I see. I see. Do banks always sell off their mortgages? No. 
Not all, not always. Yeah. There's a lot of credit unions will keep them on the books, a lot of community banks. But that goes back to my point. They've got to be really good risk managers because yeah. they keep that stuff. Okay. So if they've got bad debt in their books, if they've got a general contract who's at risk of a bankruptcy, that could be a serious exposure for a small community bank. Yeah. When Sharon and I were chatting last night about what to discuss this morning, <laughs> we thought we had this idea that our show could be how to adjust to normal interest rates. Because interest rates right now, everyone's calling this a high interest rate environment. But this is actually compared to the last, what, 50, 60 years. These are actually pretty average mortgage rates that we're seeing. I don't know if you have statistics, Jeremy, but I found one statistic that said from 1971 to present, or maybe this was through last year, 30-year mortgage rates in the U.S. averaged about 7.75%. Now, there were some really high mortgage rates in like the 80s, the early 80s, right? So it could be skewing Mm -hmm. the numbers a bit. But mortgage rates now at what, 5.8 to 6.2%, something in that range. So these are are not, if we think about longer term trend, I mean, they're high compared to the last decade or so, but they're really not all that high compared to the last 40, 50, 60 years. So we're we're calling our show today adjusting to historically normal interest rates. And how people think about it. Yeah. And Jeremy, one question, because I know that you don't have much time, but one thing that I would love for you to talk about, and I wanted to bring it up last week, but can you talk a little bit about the lock in effect that we're having right now, too? Yeah. So 75% of the mortgage market right now is locked in under 4%. So if you own a home, the large majority of mortgages out there are under 4%. A lot of them are under 3.5%. So if you come back to that conversation, that average that you were talking about, I always use the data point over the last 30 years, the 30-year mortgage has averaged 7.25%. So a little bit than the 50-year average, but it still takes into account some really high interest rate periods. And I wouldn't discount what we saw in the early 80s. History history doesn't necessarily repeat, but it rhymes, right? We had a really high inflationary period coming out of the late 1970s with oil embargoes and all sorts of economic turmoil. And that's what ultimately led to the really high interest rate environment in the early 80s. We think back to the movie Wall Street or any of these films that took place in the late late 1980s, and it seems like wild times on Wall Street. The market was ripping, and they were trying to slow it down, and they kept raising interest rates, and they couldn't get hold of it, and ultimately the market broke in 1987. So there's a lot of similarities of what's going on right now versus the early 1980s. Doesn't repeat, but definitely rhyming. I'm seeing some stuff in the data that makes me think we've got higher interest rates to come. Yeah, with inflation still north of, what, 5%? What was the last reading? 5.8 or something like that? Then it does seem like probably the Fed's probably not done raising interest rates, hopefully soon, but I don't disagree with you. There's some interesting discussion out there. There's a few talking heads in the mortgage world that that specialize in the bond market, and whether it's MBS Highway or other outlets where there's a guy, Barry Habib, who does a lot of talk about the bond market in my world. And he's under the impression or of the belief that rates are going to be lower 
in the next six to nine months. He's seeing some aberrations in the data, like he was talking about the employment numbers from last week, and we saw some really strong employment numbers that gave people a little bit of pause, thinking, man, we still have to deal with this inflation issue. But what Barry highlighted was that there was actually an adjustment, that there was jobs that they didn't find last year for some reason in their calculation, and they needed to tuck them in somewhere. And so they just add them to the current data set. And so it gives a false reading in the current data. Set that aside for a second, because I don't believe that small small aberrations in the data are going to change Jerome Powell's opinion. Yeah. He's been very, very clear that he's going higher, the Fed's going higher, and they're not seeing inflation moderate to the extent that they want to, down below 4%. Yeah. And... I think the market's been wrong on this all the way along. Jeremy, I hate to cut you off, but we have to take a break. And I know you have to. Are you able to hang with us or do you have to go to soccer or something? I can hang with you guys for a couple more minutes. All right. Awesome. You're listening to McNamara on Money. I'm Alyssa McNamara-Reed, joined by Sharon McNamara with Boston Connect Real Estate and Jeremy Devaney with Leader One Financial. We're talking mortgages, interest rates, real estate, finance, everything. We're just taking a quick break and we'll be right back. Are you ready to get organized? Let's consolidate those old accounts and make sure your investment strategies are appropriate. This is Kirk Reed, a certified financial planner with McNamara Financial in Marshfield. Find out more at McNamaraFinancial.com. And we're back. Good morning. You're listening to McNamara on Money. I'm Alyssa McNamara-Reed. I'm joined this morning by my aunt and frequent co-host, Sharon McNamara with Boston Connect Real Estate. And on the phone, do we still have Jeremy Devaney from Leader One Financial, mortgage lender? Jeremy? Yep. Hey, awesome. Thank you for sticking with us. I know you just have a few more minutes, but I appreciate your time today. Of course. So just piggybacking off of what you were saying leading into the break about rates potentially going higher and maybe not coming coming back down for some time. Are we, I don't know, I feel like, is this the new normal? I think we were just very spoiled by very low interest rates coming out of the credit crisis for a long time. What, 10 years, really 10 years or more that we were spoiled by really low interest rates. Been, I think people, so much time went by that it became the norm, but I don't necessarily think that will be the norm moving forward. I feel our interest rates in this range, the 6% range on a mortgage, the new norm, at least for the next five or 10 years. I don't know. What's your guess, Jeremy? I think you're spot on, Alyssa. When I look at it, I actually think north of 7% could be really where we settle out. Jerome Powell over at the Fed has been really transparent that he's likely coming back in May in hiking again, that's going to have an impact on the bond market. While it's not directly linked to the mortgage market, it will push mortgage rates higher because you're moving the entire bond market up. So I think what we've seen over the last couple of months is really interesting because there's been a ton of volatility in the rate market. Where we sit today, just north of 6%, it is a full point lower than where we were just three weeks ago. So you're seeing opportunities for refinances come up inside of weeks where normally we're only seeing small adjustments in the bond market on a daily basis. If you go back to 2019, having a 30 or 40 or 50 basis point move in the bond market on any given day, a basis point is 1% of 1%. So if you have the interest rate market move a half percent in a day, that's a huge change in a lot of volatility. So it's just it's a different environment. The speed at which people are trying to process information is lightning fast. 
oftentimes they're over overcorrecting in one direction or the other, and so it just creates this really chaotic market. Yeah, but home, home, I think under the heading of this is the new normal, and people maybe should get used to it and just try to adjust, which is something that Sharon and I will talk about as the show goes on today, and we have some ideas and stuff in that regard. Um, I just totally lost my train of thought. I was distracted by my soccer so, game got rescheduled today, but well, yeah. Let me offer you something, Alyssa. There's, folks need to come to terms with the idea that if they buy a house today, they've heard a lot of folks, a lot of mortgage lenders out there saying, date the rate of the house. Date the rate what? We lost you for a sec. Date the rate, marry the house. Oh, <laughs> that's what I actually I'm sorry. That's where my thinking was going is that home buying has never been a straight up financial decision. It's been a lifestyle decision like merrily forever. It has made perhaps more sense in the last 10, 12 years to purchase and have a mortgage versus rent because interest rates were so low. It's perhaps made more financial sense in recent years, but it's I don't think rates being higher. There'll be some adjustments to make and maybe first time home buyers are buying homes later in life, etc. But I don't think it's going and again, some adjustments to be made, but I don't think it's really mm-hmm. going to change the housing market in and of itself other than inventory and people not wanting to sell because they're married. There's a lot of people that are married to their under 4% interest rate. And if they they now want to try to sell that house, they'll get probably lesser of a house. So it doesn't make sense for them to do that. And that's you guys both have your calculators going, I'm sure. But (laughs) one of the exercises I would that I've done in my office previously, Jeremy, and I don't know if you've done it was last year when we were seeing the rates starting to go up a little bit and people were freaking out, we were saying, okay, if a house is on the market for $500,000 and you're at, let's even use what we are right now, 6.5%, 7%, whatever, are you, is, okay, what is that number at the end? Like, I actually have those exact numbers. I did them do? before the show this morning. I was playing around wow. with mortgages. That's funny. <laughs> okay, so $500,000 yeah. at today's rate. Yeah. Or do you get into that situation where everybody was out there again? So we, if you were at 3% or 4% and you're at the $500,000 and there's 30 offers on that property and you're offering $100,000 more to get your offer because your rate's so low, now you're like, all right, I'm going to give you $600,000 for that $500,000 house right. because my rate is so low. So what's the difference in the mortgage? So I did some calculations very similar to this in preparation of today's show. And I was thinking of about like roughly a $500,000 property. I'm not even kidding. I already have these numbers. I'm not even going to touch my keyboard. (laughs) I already did this, Sharon. You and I are of one mind. Yes. I did actually like thinking of someone maybe buying a house in the $600,000 range and putting some money down. So I did an example low rate mortgage of $550,000 at 2.5%. So a 30-year mortgage... If you borrow five hundred and fifty thousand at two and a half percent, the principal and interest payment is two thousand one hundred and seventy three dollars. Then I thought about, okay, what if, you know, now in this interest rate environment, higher interest rate on the mortgage, maybe prices have and will, I don't know, continue to come down a little bit. So what if someone buying that same house now, maybe they only need a $500,000 mortgage because, I don't know, has the price come down on that now? I don't know. Maybe Sharon's shaking her head no. But anyway, I was trying (laughs) to prove a point that um, even if you're taking a lower mortgage, so now I'm saying a $500,000 
$100,000 mortgage, not a 550, a $500,000 mortgage at 6% in today's interest rate environment, 30 year, the payment is almost exactly $3,000. So it's like an 82997. So it's an $800 a month swing. And that's even a smaller mortgage by Mm -hmm. $50,000. Now I just got logged out. And that's what we're seeing. That's one of the things as a listing agent, as the mortgage rates were changing, and Jeremy, I'm sure you saw this, did some of your clients have to actually fall out of what they could afford? Like We were asking for pre-approval letters. Like If you were putting an offer in on one of my listings, I want your pre-approval letter dated today or yesterday. Yeah, okay. Yep. Yeah, okay. It was changing okay. so fast. It was changing so and fast. And people were getting bumped right out of what they could afford. Yeah. And so this is changing. Right. It's changing affordability, right? So someone that could afford the colonial on an mm-hmm. acre, or maybe now they can't, and they're, they have to aim a little bit. At, they have to target a different type mm-hmm. of house, yeah. smaller or a smaller plot of land or different town or something like that. But Jeremy it's not necessarily... Go ahead, Jeremy. So, yeah, we definitely saw that happen. There was a real down in the market towards the end of last year where I saw a lot of my colleagues see their pipeline of pre-approvals really dry up. They had clients that we had been working with for 6, 12 months trying to struggle through this market. But at some point, they, they did get priced out of the market because one, the prices never pulled back like people expected, but two, the rates kept going up. So it, to Sharon's point, it, if you're a realtor out there, if you're not getting updated pre-approvals consistently, then you're really at risk as you go through a transaction. You need to have those numbers updated consistently because the level of volatility we're seeing in the market, your your client could qualify for more money today or less money tomorrow. We're seeing that big a move. Um, but so there people is a having- real washout from people that were interested in the market during COVID that no longer could participate in the market. Because they're priced out? They priced out the rate, rates went up so much that they no longer could qualify. So, are people having to get pre qualified like every couple of weeks? Is that what you're saying, basically? If they're yeah, active so buyers? They, yeah. It really depends on who you're working with and how they approach pre approval. Our mm-hmm. team, we do a fully documented pre approval regardless of the client situation. So, we're going to look at everything upfront credit, pay stubs, bank statements, W2s, tax returns, and build a full file. And then largely, we can put that on the shelf until the client needs to move forward. But what we do, Alyssa, is we go back and we look at, does that income still qualify for the dollar amount on each transaction that we're submitting on for them? As rates change, that might not be the case, especially as clients are shopping at the upper end of their price ranges. They're stretching every last dollar know, out of that, the transaction they exactly. can. Exactly, and, that's, that's yeah, and that's I don't like when people do that, and that's it's for this very reason. If they're not locked in, we saw several releases in our office when that was all happening. Release, meaning they Release, were pre-qualified, but then they... They were in the transaction, everything was fine, signed purchase and sales agreement, did home inspection, most people waived them, which is another story for another day. And then we would be in, in the rates went up and they didn't lock in. And now they didn't qualify for that house because they're stretching oh. themselves to the very, very dollar. And yeah. it seems the people I surround just, myself with and Jeremy is, I'm sure, the same way is don't max yourself out to that yeah, you don't very house number. For. Yeah. So if little things do just fluctuate, then you still can't afford the house. But are you advising people to just lock in as soon as possible? Because I know before people were like, they locking in? It keeps well because it was going down. It's going to drop. It's going to drop. It's going to drop. It's going to drop. 
And then there, there was definitely a bias to, to allow people to float when we were up north of 7%. Personally, I'm a very conservative person. I don't like gambling with other people's money. So we'll have a really frank conversation. Typically, I also don't force my interest rate views on a client. It's a conversation. What does the client believe the interest rate markets are going to do? And if they have no idea, I can advise them. It's really, really interesting that so many of my, particularly my younger clients, have a very concrete opinion about what rates are going to do. And they think um, what? They're going to come back down? They think they're going to come back down. Because those um, younger clients have only been adults in a period of time where yeah. interest rates were sub 4%. And, 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 and they've only been investors, and they've only been investors in times when markets were, for the most part, soaring, with the exception of one year last year. Yeah. They have a very and different I also perspective. Think there is a decoupling from reality, right? People aren't recognizing why interest rates were below 3%. We're having a global calamity. The world was ending and the Fed said, we're going to stimulate until we get things back under control. And so we're going to chop rates so the market Mm -hmm. stays alive. Unless we have another global pandemic or we have world war or major economic partner collapse, I don't see us getting back below 5%. That's just not the environment we're in. Yeah, yeah. Which probably isn't good for home inventory and most of the new inventory will be new mm-hmm. construction, I would guess. Because of that lock-in rate. Yeah. That lock-in effect that we're, we're really seeing. It. It's a real thing. I didn't know that it was 75% of people yeah. that currently have a mortgage are locked into that rate. What did you say? Below 4%. Yeah, I found, a, I found a similar statistic. Actually, Jeremy's is more staggering than the one that I found. But yeah, I was imagining that a large percentage of mortgage holders have a very low rate right now. Mm-hmm. I also, do you, I found a statistic, Jeremy, that something like 64% of homes have a mortgage on them. And then of that, more than half have a rate under 4%. Does that that sound about right, that two-thirds of homes are mortgaged? That sounds accurate. I think increasingly we're seeing transactions take place with cash. I was just going to say that. But there's still a lot of folks that just have all of their wealth tied up in their house, which brings us full circle back to the bridge loan conversation, right? for For somebody that's paid down their mortgage consistently for 25 years and they're looking to downsize, they're going to have significant equity in the home. They might not have significant assets outside of the home. They're going to have to figure out how to make ends meet as they downsize. For your clients, though, Alyssa, I'm curious. Do you, for folks that do have some cash, do you ever recommend pulling from the whole life policy or pulling from a retirement plan for to, to self? Don't often do that from a retirement plan. And there's not permanent insurance policies. I It's not often that they're like sizable enough to bridge on a real estate transaction. Sometimes the dollars in there are like 50, 80,000, but it's not often enough to like for my clients to, it's not $400,000. And I would, no, I can't think of a time where I did it just for bridge purposes recommended it from a retirement account. One of the no. things I saw, Jeremy, and I had mentioned this to Alyssa last year, I think it was last year or the year before one of my listings I had, when this all started getting multiple offers over asking crazy numbers, we had you know three-bedroom Cape in Pembroke that was $225,000 over asking with 42 offers on it. It was oh crazy. Yeah. And it, it was reckless. This is like a year ago. Yeah. Like more, yeah, yeah, yeah. More than a year ago. Yeah. It was reckless. And... 
I remember you could have 42 offers. You have to go through them all. We didn't accept, they didn't accept the highest one, but it was something very close. And it was because of the ratio of the loan and everything. Mm -hmm. But one of the things that was so shocking to me was one was cash. So we asked for proof of funds Mm -hmm. and it wasn't it was the father of the couple that were buying it. It was his father. It was all of his retirement funds. <laughs> Emptying Jesus. out retirement funds. Several different ones. So he could look like cash. And imagine the tax liability on... So this is what... How much was this home? Did you say a $900,000 home? Yeah, it ended up... No, it was... What did it end up being? Like over... So that's $1.2 million in retirement to pay the taxes to get 700000 in, in cash. Or it was that's insane. crazy. That's they insane. didn't get it. Yeah. Their offer didn't get accepted. But I was like, I can't believe that this is what you're actually doing. Wow. It was bank accounts. It was everything. Unless he had two or three times that somewhere else and he just didn't show you the statements for it. Then I suppose that's... Maybe. maybe. I don't know. So, but, yeah. Sharon, what we're seeing... That's love seeing right there. Love. It might also be stupidity, but it's love. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Sorry, Jeremy. Go ahead. What we're seeing... Yeah, what we're seeing in some cases is actually a swap out of terms. So there are definitely situations, and as a realtor, you should be aware of it. There's definitely situations where you might be shown cash, and the cash is the backup. That buy, that buyer might actually be pursuing a mortgage, yep. mm-hmm. but they sh- they showed you cash because they're willing to close it cash. Yep. If absolute, if they oh, absolutely that makes sense. Yeah. Oh, okay, that makes sense. Okay. Yep. But they're going to try to do a mortgage inside of their transaction period so that they're closing with mortgage financing. And yeah. he would be putting the money back into the retirement account within sixty days and avoiding the taxes. That's the ideal. Would but he, if he doesn't get the financing in sixty days, then that mm-hmm. he pays the taxes on it. Yeah. Some of them aren't even taking it out, Alyssa. Yeah, they're they just, just they're using it as proof of funds. Okay, like collateral never, almost. Never liqui- yeah, they're got never it. liquidating. Oh, yeah. okay, got Those it. are really easy for me to pick up on, by the okay. way, just because I can tell when they get anxious about timelines, especially when people say it's not contingent upon the sale of their property. But then I can suddenly see I have their address because it's on okay. everything, and I'll look up their house and I can see that it's on the market. Oh, I see. You know what I mean? So yeah. saying it isn't contingent upon the sale of their house, but then and their house goes on the market and they're trying to align the dates with their the, right. the sale of that but house. But they have other ways of getting the cash if they need to if the house doesn't sell. Exactly. And I guess that's what people have had mm-hmm. to do in yeah. recent what couple years. What people have had to yeah. do with offers, it's really, like I said, yeah. it's reckless. I can't think of another word for it and I feel bad for the buyers. It's just right now what we're dealing with is the higher interest rates, but we are starting to see that again is in certain pockets, multiple offers over asking. And a lot of Mm. investors are out there that are just gobbling everything up cash because the rental, because there's so many market is so good. Rental market is so good right now. So all the investors are out there doing it. It's too bad you can't buy someone's home and assume their mortgage. Has that ever been a thing? You can. There are are certain mortgages. There are certain lenders. Yeah. Yeah, The VA loan products in particular have an assumption feature, but it's, it's not clear cut. It's a bit of a complex process and you still have to qualify for that mortgage. So you can't escape the fact that you have to qualify, but you might be able to retain a really nice interest rate. But if you're a seller, if you're a seller and you have a mortgage on your property and you know that your lender will let you pass that same loan off to the buyer, does that make your home more valuable? 
I would think potentially, but if you're talking about a VA loan, now you're looking for a certain pool of people who are veterans. Is it only VA loans, Jeremy? That that? Yeah, they have to qualify for the Nautilus, so it's typically only only assumable by another veteran. Okay, so no other banks are allowing the mortgage to pass. One of the things I heard, Jeremy, I don't know if you listen to Clubhouse at all, but I listen every morning. I was actually listening this morning when I bumped into Alyssa, but is Canada. There's a lot of agents from Canada up there, and there was a loan officer that was on there, or maybe it was a agent talking. And the way they do it in Canada is with their mortgage that they every five years on their mortgage, like they have to requalify. Well, it's like a commercial loan in the U.S. Yeah, yeah. but it's... It's also a different mortgage the product. Banks. So in Canada, they have a large proportion of adjustable rate mortgages versus the U.S. It's only a small percentage, single-digit percentage of our market is adjustable. Okay. Up in mm-hmm. Canada, the last three years, the, their primary mortgage market has been adjustable rate mortgages. So okay. it's a very different market. Yeah, I just thought that was interesting because you would be very, like, you yeah. have to just stay where you are in your job. Like, you would be so afraid. Imagine if you lost your job. Yeah. We're starting to see, actually, in this too, Jeremy, is starting to see more layoffs and things with people. <laughs> Yeah, to- totally seeing more layoffs and talk- talking to financial advisors. Alyssa and I haven't had an opportunity to talk about this recently, but some of my other financial advisor partners have been seeing a lot of clients calling in and asking for cash resources that that they're getting pinched by this inflation situation. And then they're also staring down the tubes at possible layoffs. So. And when we think about the market in Boston, it started to hit home a little bit more. The tech companies out in Metro West are starting to feel it. And some of the big, big financial companies downtown, whether it's State Street or Morgan, or those are all starting to review layoffs. Stop and Chop. Um, Stop and Chop just did a big one, like 176 people. Stop and Chop. Oh, 700. McKinsey and Bain Bain never laid people off. (laughs) But so... we're definitely starting to see layoffs start to happen. And I think as you look at my market and the debt markets in particular, there's another shoe to drop. As this credit cycle continues to tighten, there's going to be a whole lot of realtors and mortgage bankers and commercial lenders that just leave the business. Mm-hmm. There's not enough business to be done. Yeah. So there, there's a, an underbelly to what's going on that hasn't been talked about broadly just yet. Interesting. And that's the thing too is and it's almost when there's a good storm in the fall and all the leaves fall off of it, it's almost like it has to be done because in our industry, and I'm not sure about yours, but we saw a lot of people come into our business because the threshold to enter it is very low. So you take a you take <laughs> yeah. a 40 hour yeah. class and get your license yeah. and next thing you know you're out there helping people with their biggest financial investment. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so those are the people that will trickle off um and I think that the true professionals are going to be the ones that I'm very fortunate that I've been through several of these ups and downs that I can stay one pulse short of being flatlined. You know what I mean? Through ups yeah. and downs. Yeah. Jeremy, I wonder if a lot of yeah. the mortgage professionals that get out of the business now will go into reverse mortgages. I think about all the equity. Think about all the cash buying that's happening now and potentially will continue and all the equity tied up in homes and it's, accessibility I, I, to that. I, I, <clears throat> will be important. It'll be important for people to access that because we just talked about how people are stretching Mm -hmm. themselves themselves thin to purchase real estate. That has been the case. Real estate will is now more than ever someone's often someone's largest asset. And I think that will only continue and accessing that equity, I think, will be very important ongoing. 
I agree with you that accessing that equity will be important. We do reverse mortgages here at Onto Mortgage. It, I do them frequently. It can help any of any listeners with it if you're interested. But what I would say is this: the reverse mortgage is a much more complicated, highly regulated product, mm-hmm. mortgage product, than say the 30-year fixed Ford mortgage. And so, it, to Sharon's point, there's a lot of people that got into this market because they thought it was volume was way off the charts and they yeah. can handle it. Yeah. If they can't handle selling Ford mortgages in this market, they're never going to be able to sell a reverse mortgage. <laughs> yes. Mm-hmm. Much harder sale. Yes. Yes. Mm-hmm. Much smaller per close ratio if you want to use a salesy term. Yeah. Yeah. It's a long yeah. sales cycle. There's yes. a lot of education, right? Yeah. You've got to hold hands with older borrowers and their financial advisors and their kids. And so it gets a lot more complicated to originate a reverse mortgage than it is a Ford mortgage. Absolutely. Doesn't mean that they're not appropriate in certain situations, but yes, mm-hmm. I see your point. Yeah. No doubt. Yeah. Ladies, I, I have to run to get the kids to but thank you so much for having me on. You're well, welcome. Do you, you want to give out your contact info, Jeremy? For our listeners? Yeah, sure. It's Jeremy Devaney, Onto Mortgage. We're based at 892 Queen Street in, in the Styles Law Work local building right here in Marshfield. You can find me online at www.devaneymortgage.com or reach out to me, 781-680-5626. Again, Jeremy Devaney, Onto Mortgage. Jeremy, one question before you go. Were you at Styles event the other day? Yes. Oh. It was, Mark throws a heck of a party. I arrived. I was there. I was there. <laughs> Yeah, we had a grade four lacrosse game against Pembroke. I was (laughs) coaching for that, and we had a chamber event immediately before that, so a crazy night. Oh, my goodness. I wish I had seen you there because I got there a little late myself, so I didn't stay too long. I was out in the hallway with a manual e-bot, so, yeah, out there chit-chatting. I I must have just missed you. Oh, perfect. All right, thanks for your time, Jeremy. Thanks, Jeremy. Appreciate it. Happy Easter. Thank you. Take care. All right, bye. Apologies, I was I said the wrong business name for Jeremy. I know several <laughs> times. Prior, sorry, that, because I was I think the prior one. My bad. I just sent him a text. I was like, sorry, my bad. It's Jeremy Devaney with Onto Mortgage, and you can find out more about him at DevaneyMortgage.com. We are just taking a quick break. You're listening to McNamara on Money. I'm Alyssa McNamara Reed. I'm going to continue the show after the break with Sharon McNamara of Boston Connect Real Estate. Talked a lot about interest rates. Let's zip that up. I'm sick of talking about it. We'll talk about some other real estate and financial financial related stuff after the break. We'll be right back.